You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Well, let's turn now to scripture, and we're going to be in John's gospel for our reading, John chapter 9. This week and next, we're in stories that are so long, they take a whole chapter. So Nicole's going to help us get this story started, and then we'll finish it in the context of the message. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. All right, thank you, Nicole. Nicole, one of our teachers who were cheering on to the finish line this school year. Well, I hope you enjoyed that table question as we think about turning points. When I was nine years old, I'll start there, the Minnesota Twins won the World Series, and we have not been back since. (laughs) When I was 19, I met a girl in college named Esther. When I was 29, it was the founding year of the Y Church. When I was 39, and that's the most recent one, but somehow they're getting foggier. When I was 39, we opened up our foster care license with Nexus Kindred, who's here this morning, and we were waiting for the right referral. Turning points. And then there's this guy in John chapter 9. There's a phrase that comes to mind in English called sea change, S-E-A, sea change, that originates in Shakespeare. He wrote a play called The Tempest that says, Full fathom five thy father lies, of his bones were coral made. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Nothing of him that doth fade, but doth suffer a sea change, first occurrence of the phrase, into something rich and strange. So sea change, Dickens picked it up in his writing, Thoreau, Hemingway, and it cemented itself into the English language. A sea change is a profound or marked transformation. That's the kind of turning point that we have this morning in John 9, when this blind man encountered Jesus and could see, S-E-E. 
So today we have the sixth and penultimate miracle of Jesus in John's gospel, the sixth of seven signs. And as we noted, we're going to do this next week as well. We'll start it in the scripture reading and finish the story in the message. Today I think we rightly took time for the Real Hope Project and for commissioning new members, both of which proclaim the gospel in their own way. So now with our Bibles open before us, we're going to add this third witness to the transforming sea change power of Christ. Let's just think what we've heard so far. What did Nicole cover for us? Jesus and his disciples were walking along, probably still in Jerusalem where they arrived in John 7, and they walked by this man who'd been blind since birth. And the disciples take this opportunity with their teacher, their rabbi, to ask a practical theological question. And they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, when you and I read this, it just sounds incredibly insensitive. At least to my ears, it would seem that way, especially if this guy is within earshot and he can overhear their comment. But lest we think the disciples are just these judgmental brutes, I think we should think again. Because this understanding is not far off from where we are today. A prevailing default belief in our culture goes something like this. When I do good things, God does good things for me. And when I do bad things, then bad things are sure to follow. Now this has a name, of course, in Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. It's called karma. You all know it. Karma is an extremely popular go-to explanation of how the world works. Point in case, Taylor Swift released a song last year that is called Karma. And the question is, is it about Kanye West? Is it about Scooter Braun? I cannot solve that debate this morning. But I can tell you, karma is cause and effect morality. But the Bible has such a richer understanding of these things. So you just ask Job. Or ask the Apostle Paul or any other number of folks in the Bible. And yes, we see this principle that God's blessing rests on the righteous. But that doesn't mean that you and I just walk through life scot-free. And sometimes, confounding as it may be, the unrighteous seem to prosper. And the Bible is able to look this reality square in the face and not pull any punches. And yet this simplistic, really self-righteous, vengeful kind of idea remains. And in the first century, the disciples are just operating out of that standard answer, that easy theology that had weaseled its way into Judaism. So if you were born with a birth defect, then it must be because somebody in your family line, maybe your parents, had messed up. But Jesus calls out the question. He says, well, this guy's not sitting here blind because of something that he did or his parents did. That's not the point in this moment. This is an opportunity to see the works of God at display in his life. And then there's this wonderful contrast that Fritz from South Africa drew out last week when Jesus walked on the water. Remember he said that as Jesus sees them straining against the oars, it's dark. It's one of John's favorite metaphors. And and here it's being highlighted again. Night is coming when no one can work, Jesus says. But while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
And so what you and I have to see from the outset of this story is that blindness is not just a medical condition. That's not the point that John's making. He's describing also a spiritual condition. And it is into this darkness that Jesus walks as the light of the world. So in reading this, I don't want you to read a story about a man born blind that you therefore cannot relate to. His story is meant to show you your story. Where we come to terms with our own spiritual darkness. And this reality sinking in that I cannot see and I cannot get out from under the shroud of sin unless I receive the light of Christ. That is what John is emphasizing in this story. So Jesus sees the man's condition and as Katie previewed with the kids in vivid fashion, he makes mud out of spit and dirt. There's a lot of discussion around why he does this now that we don't have time for this morning. But he spreads it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now there's nothing special about the pool of Siloam other than its name in Hebrew meaning sent. And it gets that name because its waters were sent through a channel from a spring in the valley, in the Kidron Valley. So the name of this pool is meant to point us to Jesus. In John 6.21, Jesus said, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. As we move further into the story, we'll see that some believe he is the one God has sent and some do not. Interestingly, Isaiah 8.6 references the pool of Siloam and it says this, The people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah. That's the Old Testament name. And it's likely that Jesus had all this in mind as he sends the man to wash in the pool of Siloam. And then we read this straightforward telling, So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. He's seeing buildings along his street for the very first time. He is seeing people. He is seeing his family and his home for the first time in his life. And the neighbors and the others who know him are thoroughly confused because they have only ever known him as the kid born blind, the man born blind. And it can't possibly be the same guy. And others are saying, no, it is. And they go back and forth. And the guy himself is insisting, no, it's me. The man named Jesus healed me. And he tells them exactly how it happened. I love this little exchange at the end of what Nicole read. They want to know, well, where is he? And in a very anticlimactic way, he says, well, I don't know. Because, of course, the last time he was with Jesus, he couldn't see yet. So he didn't see what he looks like or where he went. And that's where we left off with the Scripture reading. And then we next have this section where the religious leaders get involved. The neighbors and folks around the man take him to the Pharisees. And their intent is probably not malicious. Not trying to get him in trouble. But this is just what you did when you're trying to figure out a difficult life question or issue is you take it to the Pharisees. So in scene 2, which is verses 13 to 34, it starts with the Pharisees questioning this man. And he tells them the same thing that he's told everybody else. Whereby some of them immediately pounce on one of the finer details we didn't have yet, that it was the Sabbath. Now, some of you are familiar with that term, and some of you aren't. So just to make sure we're all on the same page together, the Sabbath is talking about the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath was the day that 
people rested from work. And it was prescribed in the Jewish law in the Old Testament, going all the way back to the creation story, where God rested after six days of creation, he rests on the seventh day. The trouble was, by the time we get to Jesus, they have so stacked on top of the Bible all of these other man-made rules and laws that it's just hard to see the original intent. So according to them and their rabbinic tradition, they're saying, well, Jesus has broken two or three of the rules for how to keep the Sabbath. Number one, healing was forbidden on the Sabbath, except in the case of life-saving measures, which this obviously was not. Secondly, kneading, like kneading dough, was forbidden on the Sabbath because it was considered work. And it could be said that when he was kneading the dirt, he was breaking that Sabbath rule. And thirdly, there was divided opinion on this. One rabbinic school forbid the anointing of the eyes. For that too could be seen as work. So you can see how ridiculous this whole system had become that they were missing the Messiah right under their noses. So they argue back and forth on these things and then they ask the man again what he thinks and he concludes, well, he must be a prophet. And what that means is he's sent by God. There's that word again. Well, they can't receive that answer and so they call for the man's parents and they ask him three questions, the parents, as the story progresses. Is this your son? Was he in fact born blind? And how is it that now he can see? And so they come before the Pharisees and they answer, yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But then they dodge the bullet on the third question. They say, well, as far as how he came to see, just ask him yourself. He's of age. And he can tell you. He's of age means students that he was at least 13. So this man born blind was maybe a teenager. Maybe he was in his 20s. We don't know. But John points out that they answered this way, the parents did, because they were afraid. The word on the street was that if you said Jesus was the Messiah, you would get kicked out of the synagogue. Now to you and I, that really doesn't carry any emotional weight. Because that's not our culture, it's not in our vocab. But for them, being part of the synagogue was central to your identity. It was essential to your social life. They didn't text or snap each other. They were part of the synagogue. They weren't in bowling league. You were part of the synagogue. They weren't in book clubs or things like that. They went to synagogue. So to get kicked out of the synagogue, you lost all of your friends. And that you and I can't understand. It meant you lost all of your credibility in the city or in the neighborhood where you lived. Your place of community was gone. And so they're afraid of this reality and they pass the buck to their son. Starting in verse 24, the Pharisees pick up the questioning with renewed vigor and they tell the man, give glory to God by telling the truth, which is kind of like, you know, you better pinky swear and tell us the truth now. They say, we know this man is a sinner. And you'll notice throughout the story, if you read all of chapter 9, they can never bring themselves to say Jesus' name. It's always this form of disdain. We know this man is a sinner. To which the man born blind says, well, I don't know about that. I'm paraphrasing some of this for us. I don't know about that. That's your expertise, he's saying. But I do know this. 
I was blind, but now I see. And yes, this is the text that inspired John Newton in that line of amazing grace. Well, in the story, things go downhill from here. The blind man now is quite the character. He catches on to what's happening here, and he calls them out for this foregone conclusion. The Pharisees, in turn, fly off the handle, and they say their last words to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out of the synagogue. That brings us to scene three. Jesus goes to find the man. And isn't that like Jesus? He goes out to look for him. He goes out to find the one who's kicked out, who's friendless, whose own family would not even stand up for him. I recall the words of Psalm 27. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And here the Lord goes and finds him. And he finds him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in the Messiah? And the man says, who is he, sir? Tell me, listen to this, so that I may believe in him. Do you remember the whole reason that John writes his gospel? So that we may believe. And Jesus says to him, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. At which the man says, Lord, I believe. And he falls down and worships him. Who can really see in this story? And who is actually blind? In Matthew 23, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as blind guides. They're the religious experts, but they don't actually know where they're going. They're stumbling around in the dark, outside the grace of God, insisting that they see perfectly fine. And so when you and I take up this story today, and we're just about done here, it should cause us to ask a very simple question. Here's the question you want to ask when you're reading John chapter 9. Am I the blind man who was in the dark who has come to believe in Jesus and can see? Or, am I sitting here and I think my eyesight is perfectly fine, that I don't have need for healing, and so I remain spiritually blind? That is the question of the hour. The global church lost a wonderful leader a couple of days ago, Tim Keller was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he died of pancreatic cancer just a couple of days ago at the age of 72. Some of you know his writings that have shaped several generations of Christian thinkers and pastors and congregations. In 2021, when we began our second decade together, we did that by translating the Gospel of Mark into a new language, into the Timbaro language so they could read the gospel. And we gave this book as a gift to every household of the Y Church called Jesus the King, a book from Tim Keller about the gospel of Mark. And in remembering that writing and the effect he's had on my own life, there are not many people who have been 
so profoundly impactful in the life of the church in our time as Tim Keller. In 2020, he was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Now, how did our gospel reading start today? Bad karma? Did he sin? Something happened? Tim Keller had a very different answer. He said later that year, as he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, God really is there. He is enough. And I'm actually happier than I've ever been on a given day. He said, I enjoy my prayer life more than I ever have. And so after three years of the treatments and chemo and all of these things and the ups and downs, Keller knew that he was on the home stretch. He entered hospice care last week. And he said, for me, there is no downside in leaving. Not in the slightest. And in his final hours, with his family by his side, he has three grown sons and grandchildren. They overheard him praying these words. I want you to hear this today as we close. I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. The story of the man born blind is a sea change. It was written so that you may believe. It was written so that you may see Jesus and follow Him home. And so, my friends, whatever has perhaps clouded your vision, whatever has snuck in and been confusing or brought disillusionment or has been painful, whatever idols or other priorities are perhaps obstructing your view, I want you to know that it is nothing compared to seeing Jesus. And I want to give you this encouragement today that you would press on. That you would go to the pool of Siloam and wash in the waters of His love. That you would be healed. And that you would know what you have been searching for. Let's pray together as our worship team comes forward. Lord Jesus, we bow before You with gratitude that You came to find us. You sought me out, Lord. And we ask that now, even now, for the first time in our life, or in a renewed kind of way, Lord, that You would help us to see. That we would believe and live out the rest of our days following Jesus. We ask this for His sake and in His name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.